The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg, sound on with Kevin Cirillo. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. U.S. stocks tumble 11% in the worst week since the financial crisis. And Fed Chair Jay Powell opens the door to Fed rate cut on evolving risks from the virus. The latest on the policy front, on the politics, and the White House out in full force today from Capitol Hill to CPAC, urging folks not to be too alarmed as a result of the coronavirus. We're going to check in with an economist. We're going to check in with two, with a reporter as well as two political all-stars as well. And South Carolina Eve, folks, can Joe Biden mount a comeback? Or is it too little too late for Senator Bernie Sanders? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Calvin Schnorr is going to join us, Senior Economist at NAVREIT, Kevin Walling, Eli Yokely, and Mark Ross. Happy Friday. Let's get right to it, because the coronavirus still ricocheting its way throughout the markets, and the U.S. stocks tumbling 11% in the worst week since the financial crisis. I logged on to the Bloomberg just to get the markets wrap, just to see when the, when the closing bell came, what how are we going to end this week? You ready for this? I'm reading from my colleagues reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal. The spread of the coronavirus rattled global financial markets, sending U.S. stocks to their worst week since the financial crisis more than a decade ago. Demand spiked for safe assets from treasuries to the yen. And the S&P 500 plunged 11% in the five days, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average careened to the lowest since June, wiping out almost, here it comes, $3 trillion in value from American equities. Joining us on the line, before we dive into the politics, which we got to get to because the White House was out in full force. I was at the White House earlier today. I mean, Kudlow, Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, he was in the uh, briefing room. They had a pen and pad for reporters. You've got Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Capitol Hill getting lots of tough questions from Democrats. He handled it well, frankly. Uh, then you got Mulvaney, Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff. He was at CPAC. Pompeo popped in at CPAC as well. We're going to get to all of that, but let's just start with the facts. Let's start with the nuts and bolts in terms of how this is impacting the economy. Calvin Schnoor is joining us on the telephone line. He's the senior economist, folks, at NAREIT. So we're thrilled to have Calvin on the line. Calvin, when you're looking at the stock market today, what are you seeing? And is it going to get any better at all next week? 
Well, it's hard to tell what's going to happen next week, but what we've seen over the past week, a little bit more than a week, is a shift from concerns about things that would not happen inside the U.S. Last week, week before, people were worried about shortages of critical parts that might be manufactured in China or cruises that were somewhere in Asia and American companies were sponsoring them. Um, what we're seeing now is concern about disruptions within the U.S. because there are some cases here, and there was, it, these cases are certainly going to grow significantly. Uh, but what I'm also seeing is there's not a lot of distinction within the market about the sectors that are going to get hit. There's a really big difference between sales that are postponed versus those that are canceled completely. This is uh, huge. This is huge. And let's let's just pause there because it bears repeating. There's a difference between sales that are postponed and sales that are canceled. What do you mean? Well, we actually have we've never seen a virus like this hit the US, but we do have experience with events hitting the US, sometimes a hurricane or an earthquake, something causes a major disruption to economic activity and sales will be will be uh, disrupted, but usually you see a bounce back the next month, the next quarter, sometime later in the year. When you look at companies that are trading the stock market right now, the question is, are these ones that are going to lose out completely, like like a cruise line that is not going to have sales, or a restaurant that's not going to have uh, people coming in there for business, or if, uh, if there are things that are just going to be postponed? And that, that makes a big difference in the value. So, even beyond that, Fed Chair Jay Powell uh, he said that the coronavirus, quote, poses evolving risks, end quote, to the U.S. economy. Uh, and he's signaling that the central bank is going to be prepared to cut interest rates, if necessary, to sustain the country's longest ever expansion. This, again, from Craig Torres reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal. So you hear that from, from Fed Chair Powell, uh, and he's weighing in, it, it seems like, to say, okay, the central bank, uh, they're monitoring this, and they're prepared to act. That's, you know, how do you, how do you interpret that? Well, I, I read the statement as well. It's a, it's the chairman's statement. It's a very short statement saying that you know they're they're aware of it, um, but there's really not a lot that they can do to address the real issues. The real issues are what if a mall is closed or what if a factory right. is closed. Having a little bit better cost of long-term financing or short-term financing is not going to help. The way, place they will be able to do things is if something feeds into uh, a crisis in the financial system, if banks are having trouble with interbank financing, they can provide liquidity. There are no signs of that. This is not something that's likely to uh, evolve into a financial crisis. But the chairman is just saying that he's looking very closely. They're, they're, they're watching to see what's going to happen. Uh, but this is not the type of situation where interest rates are the, the tool of choice. Well, Calvin Schnorr is on the line. He's senior economist at Navrate. Calvin, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I think what you said was a, it bears repeating, that when you look at previous issues that have come up, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a snowstorm, Maybe that's the way that economists like yourself are starting to look at this in terms of the longer-term risk. Now, based upon my reporting, Calvin, I can tell you that that four-sentence statement that came from Fed Chair Powell today, I think it was because you started to hear some rumblings of the Peter Navarros and the Larry Kudlows. They might not agree on much. In a, they're on different sides of the aisle on certain issues. But you started hearing some rumblings from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. that They were going to put the Fed in the hot seat if this coronavirus thing continues to intensify. Let me play for you quickly what Larry Kudlow said earlier today. He told reporters this at the White House. I mentioned it. Here's Larry Kudlow on the market impact of the coronavirus. Even though it's a front page story and nobody likes to see their asset values go down, um, 
I just don't think at this point it's going to have much of an impact. Calvin, we got about a minute left. Do you agree with Kudlow? No, I would say there's some things that are going to have an impact. You're clearly going to see in the travel business, the the hotel restaurants, the conventions that may be canceled. Um, some of those are going to be losses that just are not recouped. But there are some other areas that are going to do well. Uh, we work with commercial real estate and REITs. And yeah. these are companies that have long-term leases that are really not going to be suffering a loss because the tenant's still going to be there. So the effect varies across the sectors. All right, so that's Calvin Schnorr. Who I, I just looked you up. You went to Williams College. You know, my brother-in-law went there. Beautiful campus. Beautiful campus. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> that's Calvin <laughs> Schnorr joining us for the first time. And you got to come back and you got to talk to us about the housing market because I read your note uh, on Navreed's uh, website and all the posts that you put in housing. I mean, it's, it's really good stuff. And I know we have a lot to talk about with housing, especially when the election year comes up and we're getting different policy forecasts on the housing front. So thank you to Calvin Schnorr. He, of course, is the senior economist at Navreed. Coming up, time to talk politics of the coronavirus. We mentioned it. Mick Mulvaney was talking today. He had some critical, critical assessment of Democrats and the Democrats are pushing back as it relates uh, on the coronavirus as well. Mark Ross is here, Eli Yokley, and Kevin Walling. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple, iTunes, at Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and we made it to Friday. Can we just pause and say, you know what? Good job. We did it. We got through the week. It's Good job. Sometimes we need to pat each other on the back. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Their hoax of the day because they thought it would bring down the president. The reason you're paying so, you're seeing so much attention to it today is that they think this is going to be what brings down the president. That's what this is all about. Mick Mulvaney, Mick Mulvaney talking to CPAC, saying that he thinks all the obsession over coronavirus from the media is because they think it's going to take out the president. He also had another quote, by the way, where he was talking about reporters and the coronavirus and the mainstream media. I got to, you got to see this because I, I saw this and I, I, I texted it to Tom, not to, I emailed it on the Bloomberg to uh, Tom Keene and... Jonathan Farrow. He said, quote, I got a note today from a reporter saying, what are you going to do today to calm the markets? Really, what I'd like to do today to calm the markets is tell people to turn their televisions off for 24 hours. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> brutal from Mulvaney. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Uh, joining us now, our all-star panel for the rest of the hour, Kevin Walling, Democratic Strategist at HG Creative Media. Kev, do you ever turn off your television? Never. Oh Never. wow! Wow, Kevin with the loud mic. Sorry, just bursting. <laughs> I work in TV advertising. Christine I can't Barada, turn it off. Executive <laughs> producer is typing. Turn him down again. Yes, I knew you were going to say that. He came in hot. Eli Oakley, political reporter for Morning Consult. Eli, are you watching the coronavirus? Probably polling on it as Happy we Friday, speak. Happy Friday, we are. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot going on. I just you do. Morning Consult has a ton going on. And then Mark Ross, CEO of Caracol Global, our China expert. Well, so much for all the gains from Phase One. <laughs> yeah, that was. It's Friday. I'm feeling a little punchy. <laughs> um, okay, so let's 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 be real here, though. Let's start with the politics. Okay, earlier we talked about the markets. Eli, what are you gathering from this political food fight now over the coronavirus? Yeah, well, since the beginning of the year, we've seen a big drop in confidence in, in, in Donald Trump's handling of this whole thing. 
um, an 11 point drop in, in confidence in his handling of it. This voters are not seeing him as succeeding on this. Um, today at morning consult, we oh, launched. Wait, wait, are Republicans seeing him as succeeding on it? Yeah, sure. They are. Um, so it's, I mean, is it a polar? Well, I guess better question: Is it a polarized issue or? Or no? It kind of. I mean, the no. majority of Americans think he's doing okay, but it's dropped since the beginning of the year. Okay. Probably expect it to move again. Um, another thing we just launched at Morning Consult today is a tracker of consumer confidence throughout this. Mm -hmm. And we've seen noticeable drops in the last few days on this issue as, as voters have seen what's happened in the markets. What are they? They're, they're freaked out. I think people freaked are freaked out. out. Yeah. I've used Purell like six times <laughs> in the past 24 hours. <laughs> and I'm not saying it to be funny, but I, I don't know. I mean, how do you stop... Someone at the gym is telling me, you know, they're not going to give high fives anymore. And I get it. My church back in Delco, you can't even get the the wine because yeah. they're stopped doing that because of coronavirus. It was in the bulletin, the e-bulletin. So, I mean, people are really talking about this. You got Mick Mulvaney at CPAC, Mark. He's saying that schools might shut down. And listen, kids, if you're in the car, I'm not saying you don't have school next week. I'm just saying what the experts are saying as this thing spreads. Mark. When you're looking at it from a political standpoint, I think you've got your eye on next week's bottom line, which is the billion dollars worth of package that's going to get through sometime next week, according to The Hill. Yeah, I think th this really isn't in Team Trump's wheelhouse dealing with this kind of uh, situation. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's a political machine. It's a day trading kind of operation. But the inputs that we're receiving beyond the White House, if you look at Amazon canceling all travel, not even internationally, but domestically for their staff, uh, multinationals not allowing folks to travel, suggesting you should work from home. The country of Japan shutting down their entire school system throughout the nation for 30 days. I mean, the input is unbelievable. The money is kind of interesting. You know, we are looking at like six to eight billion dollars, which is a big number. What's interesting, it's not a trillion dollars. It's not the bailout numbers we saw in 2008, but these are big numbers. And there's a lot of inputs around the world that suggest something interesting is happening. I mean, the interesting thing to Mark's point, too, is, you know, that the administration's original request was just for $2 billion, uh, which was, you know, kind of viewed as a laughable sum. Kevin McCarthy even wanted to double that to four. I think it'll end up somewhere between four and six. Um, I hope that there is some bipartisanship happening up on the Hill when they're back uh, next week to tackle this, uh, because it's something that should be beyond party politics. Of course, both sides are using this, uh, you know, as ammunition as it's injected into the primary fight that's going on on the Democratic side. But hopefully we'll get that package pa passed next, next well, week. Can I, can I put it in context? We're talking four to six billion. How much money do you think went to Hurricane Sandy back in 2013? 25? $28 billion. So this is pennies compared to a hurricane. And I think that was what I really learned from my interview earlier in the program with Calvin Schnoor, is that I, I think his assessment is interesting to, to price this as a natural disaster in, in the sense, obviously this could be really bad and no one wants it to be bad and, and the cost of lives. Um, no one wants that. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but... When you compare it to how budgetary lawmakers are looking at this, it's not e it's like a fourth of a hurricane, of a major hurricane, just to put it in perspective for people. Go ahead. Yeah, well, and, Repo and people on Capitol Hill were worried about pulling money from other uh, disease fighting, like Ebola. That was, that was in Trump's initial plan was to pull money from Ebola fighting. Um, you've got Richard Shelby from Alabama, top, top Republican on the Senate Appropriations Committee, who's really worried about this playing out in his home state of Alabama. He pushed for more. You've seen Democrats on Capitol Hill pushing for more money. I, I would imagine this passes pretty easily next week. And Donald Trump's okay with it. He's okay with more money. Well, let's take a listen. Let's head up to Capitol Hill because Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was on Capitol Hill. Take a listen to what he had to say uh, to Ted Lieu, this exchange with Ted Lieu, who is a Democrat from California. Here it is. 
It's not even look, a gotcha you're, question. You're, you're you believe the coronavirus is, is a, it's a hoax? A, it's a gotcha moment. It's not useful. Take, is take a coronavirus a, a hoax? Can you just answer that question? We're, we're taking it seriously. I mean, Ted Lieu asked the guy if it was a, if it was a hoax. Mark, this is I, a food fight. It is a food fight. Good for Pompeo. Strategically, though, I think the White House has actually done a good thing by naming uh, Vice President Trump or Vice President Pence as the go-to person for this situation. It's very unlikely he's ever going to have to testify. I can't see him being drawn up to testify. So, like, the second and third tier cabinet members, guys like Pompeo, HHS, they're going to have to go to the Hill. Very kind of interesting strategy move by the White House. Also, politically for 2024, does this give an opportunity for Pence to show some leadership? Or it could be bad. Well, of course, it always could be bad, but it could also be good. Yeah. Never miss a crisis. A man, uh, former chief of staff. Don't I know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I covered every. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm not no. even going to talk. I'm going to stop talking, Kevin. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, this, to, to not Mark's, that, Kevin. <laughs> to Mark's point, I mean, this is also the, the, the president's MO sometimes when. You know, something like this comes up to pass it off, pass the buck. So, you know, he, he can throw others under the bus if it goes wrong, uh, which I hope it doesn't. I think the administration's tack, and you saw it with Mick Mulvaney and others, almost saying that the Democrats wish this is a full-on pandemic, I think is just the wrong tack to be well, taking. I mean, We've got to unify fo- here. It's a food fight. I said this to Pharaoh earlier. I mean, they've got to divorce. You've got to divorce the, the left and right stuff back and forth i mean if you're a republican you'll agree with trump if you're not you'll you know you'll disagree with them uh versus the the four to six billion that we're going to get at the end of next week they agree on that you know i mean so sometimes they had to get behind the the in the closed door meetings to agree on that number coming up 2020 fallout panel stays i'm kevin cerilli you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Kevin Wallings here, Eli Yokely, and Mark Ross. Breaking news on the Bloomberg Terminal. President Trump nominates Ratcliffe to be the National Intelligence Director and a story... That is loading as we speak on the Bloomberg Terminal uh, from the Hill newspaper. Our friends over at the Hill, Olivia Beavers, reporting President Trump has tapped Representative John Ratcliffe to serve as his next director of national intelligence, reviving an appointment of the Texas Republican that previously derailed last year. The president tweeted out just within the last like 10 minutes. Uh, I am pleased to announce the nomination of Representative Ratcliffe, Congressman John Ratcliffe, to be the director of national intelligence. Would have completed the process earlier, but John wanted to wait until after the IG report was finished. 
John is an outstanding man of great talent. Remember, folks, that he had originally appoint made this appointment last July, but then Ratcliffe withdrew from consideration just a couple of weeks because uh, of concerns he padded his resume. Uh, so Eli Yokely, can Ratcliffe get through this time? Maybe the uh, second time's a charm. Uh, we'll see. This is uh, something that Senate Republicans really resisted last time. It was over something Why? he posted on his website about lying about arresting illegal immigrants. He, he, he said that, and it didn't turn out to be true. Um, his qualifications were not up to par whenever this came up in the summer. Um, and it'll be a question of whether or not Republicans are willing to move on from that. This job has been open for quite a while since Dan Coats left. But look, I mean, General Ratcliffe made himself, made Trump a big fan of him during those Mueller hearings. And he was a pretty fierce force against the special counsel during those and sort of got the president's attention. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I think Eli makes an important point here, too. Thinking of the, his, the immediate predecessor was Dan Coats, who was well-liked. He was a United States senator. And I think the objections from the Republican Senate were from the traditionalists that viewed this position that was created in the wake of 9-11 because our uh, various intelligence agencies weren't communicating. That was one of the findings of the 9-11 Commission report, that this position should be above politics. And a guy like John Ratcliffe, who has been one of the president's chief defenders on Capitol Hill, uh, is viewed as, as that partisan kind of attack dog, especially in the, in the Judiciary Committee, as opposed to someone who can rise above, like a Dan Coats, who is more of a traditionalist in, in the mold of you know previous DNIs. So again, it was the Republicans that torpedoed this guy the last time. I, I doubt he has the political capital to get, to get through that, that uh, confirmation process. I mean, I just, once again, this is a great showing of Trump getting the best people for these jobs. Okay. It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't really have much to add. I mean, I, I think what Kevin said, I mean, this is like a serious position. You know, there's a lot, we're obviously watching the coronavirus, but in the last 24 hours on the Syrian border, the skirmishes between the Russians and the Turks, uh, there's some weird laser that the Chinese pointed at one of our destroyers in the South China Sea. I mean, uh, you know, this, there's real stuff happening, and you would think you would get an, a nonpartisan, serious person who can work all sides of the angles well, across I the mean, aisle. Well, I mean, is this it, – can it get floor time, Eli? I mean, you and I know – I mean, just from reporting on, in the Capitol, I, I don't see how this gets floor time. I think it'll be a process Between now and November. You know? I mean, I think Mitch McConnell has made – been a very good friend of Donald Trump's nominees throughout a lot of this process. A lot of Republican senators have stood by and let a lot of people through. They may otherwise have not. Um, this is an interesting position just because of how big of a deal it is. I mean, this post-9-11 aspect of it is really important. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, obviously Leader McConnell, you know, has been incredible, uh, you know, getting through these nominees, especially, you know, when it comes to federal uh, judgeships. Um, but this process is more in the hands of Richard Burr, who's the chairman of the Intelligence Committee. And to a certain True. degree, the Intelligence Committee in the Senate has been one of the last kind of bastions of bipartisanship, both Richard Burr and Mark Warner, Democrat from Virginia, as the vice chair, uh, view this committee uh, very seriously, as it should be, as opposed to what we've seen on the House side under Devin Nunez and, and Adam Schiff that has become totally uh, polarized and, and politicized. I mean, so, uh, you know, I think Richard Burr has an outsized role, obviously, and is more of a traditionalist when it comes to an appointment like this as well. I think you're right about Richard Burr. I mean, Mark Warner was asked about the idea of Radcliffe being appointed this week, and, and he said that nothing's really changed since August and that he thinks there's a bipartisan opposition still. And, and of course, too, it goes back to 
senators really don't like the House, and the House really don't don't like senators. So oftentimes, no when members of the House Washington. go, it's and it's not even on partisan lines. They they are very distrustful of the other body. So it's always more difficult, I think, when members, House members, get appointed to Senate confirmed positions. All right. So happy Friday. Here's the news dump: President Trump nominates Ratcliffe to be the National Intelligence Director. We covered it. Let's move back to politics. 2020, uh, big day for Joe Biden. Kevin Wally. Well, tomorrow's going to be even bigger. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I mean Friday Eve. He could, yeah, Friday he could Eve. Win South Carolina tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, all polling suggests there's a Monmouth poll, there's a PPP poll, there's a Clemson poll. The polls. All show, the polls. Uh, you know, the former vice president leading by double digits, uh, upwards of 18, 20 points. Uh, I think, you know, at the outset, we talked about how important, the, you know, Jim Clyburn's endorsement was, the majority whip. Um, interestingly enough, he is not just, you know, the godfather of politics in South Carolina. He's also a member of uh, Speaker Pelosi's leadership team and the only member of that leadership team to make an endorsement in this race. Of course, as you mentioned, Kev, we also saw Tim Kaine, former vice president candidate from 2016, senator from Virginia. Virginia is a key um, part of Super Tuesday uh, just next Tuesday, of course, with California uh, and Texas as kind of the two other big states voting on Tuesday. So it's anyone's guess that margin, but I I do think the vice president, former vice president, is going to have a really good night uh, tomorrow. Um, I take your points on the South Carolina polls. We've seen some increases in our national polling on the race for Joe Biden since his pretty strong debate performance this week. Um, Bernie Sanders is still leading him with black voters nationally, but uh, Joe Biden's doing pretty uh, well we among them. Wait, wait, wait. Bernie Sanders is leading amongst African-American voters nationally right now because we're going to get a lot of headlines coming out of the Palmetto State that say, you know, the African, or likely are, that the African-American vote fueled Joe Biden to his victory, and that and that's true. So... What I'll be watching for, for what it's worth, post Super Tuesday, is do African Americans go to Biden or to Sanders as a whole, or and and was South Carolina just an anomaly? But again, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves. I mean, na- nationwide right now, since Story Joe Biden's that. losses in these early states. Uh, Bernie Sanders has taken a lead with black voters. We'll see if that holds. I know that as a national poll and states are a little different. Um, where Bernie Sanders does have an, the big advantages with young black voters who are more open to these ideas of socialism that he talks about. Older black voters want to keep the status quo. We just released a big report on that this today. Um, th- th- this is a big, th- this is Joe Biden's firewall state. We have more states like this coming up. Um, Super Tuesday may leave things more muddled than they are even now. I don't know. This could be peak Joe Biden in the sense he's going to have a good night Saturday. Does it put pressure pressure on Klobuchar and Buttigieg to get out of the race? What's interesting to me is where Bernie Sanders is tonight. He's on his way to Massachusetts, really trying to end the Elizabeth Warren campaign, which is very interesting. Uh, and it, all signs also indicate that Bernie's going to do really well in Texas and in California. So this could be a short-lived victory. How do you riddle for, that that uh, he's trying to end Ber- or Elizabeth Warren's? If you can't win your home state. Game. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely right. game over. So, I mean, even Klobuchar has to really, I mean, you know, all indications that she should win Minnesota, but she's got to think to herself, if you lose your home state, and you think about 2024, even your own standing within the party, vice president, cabinet, um, that's a real black guy. I mean, that is that is And, and the, latest, the latest poll shows Bernie leading her by, I think, seven points uh, in the Commonwealth. So, that, I, I think to Mark's point, it's a, a very good one that she's got to take a serious look at her future uh, within the party if she can't deliver her so own So, we're at that point state. in the race where... Bernie Sanders is looking at competition and saying, all right, it might, because on the one hand, it might be good to keep Warren around if she's going to keep attacking Bloomberg. And then on the other hand, you know, at this point, where do her voters go? Where do her voters go? And I guess he's making the assumption uh, 
that it would be better to have to have her out. Michael yeah. Bloomberg, who's seeking the Democratic presidential nomination, of course, is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. No, I was going to say, this is all about clearing out the field. Uh, you know, uh, Sanders has got to say, you know, Elizabeth Warren, it's time for you to go. There's no doubt that Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar have to go for Biden to have any kind of success going forward. Um, and, Sty- like- and Steyer, too. Oh, yeah. To a I forget about I mean, Steyer. He's, well, he's, he's running, signaled, he's running he a strong leave. third, Correct. potentially, in South Carolina. Absolutely. He said he would which signal that he, he signaled he's going to see how he does in South Carolina. Yeah, of course, that's his firewall, too. I mean, he's invested more than any other candidate firewall. specifically in South Carolina. Of course, Mike Bloomberg, too, is running hard in California. Nationally, Steyer's not a big factor. I mean, we haven't really seen him impact much. All right, coming up, what's on the panel's quick take on their radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Kevin Wallings here, Eli Yokley and Mark Ross. Eli was talking smack on me in the break because I just told everyone that I, I got two more of the Amazon little mini Alexa things because I listened to music on it. And Eli said, why do you have so many? And I said, because it's the future. I feel like one is enough. No, one is never enough. One for every room. Yeah, you got to have one in your room because I ask it for weather and everything. And you listen to yourself. I, I'm like Alexa? a really big believer in those voice devices that can give you the weather and music and you know if the news, the sports scores. Every every day at five. If there's a new episode of a trashy reality show on that night, that's what I ask my Alexa. Every, every day, call, at call five. time and temperature. I think you can also yeah. ask Alexa to play. Bloomberg Radio. Too, I right? do. Every night to five. put in a plug. But I do. Every oh, day really? Five. You do? Really? 100%. Mark Ross. 99.1 FM. He's getting all the brownie points. <laughs> Kevin Wallace's not. Kevin not. <laughs> on Spotify. <laughs> I, love, I love Spotify. I actually I listen to such trashy music. Um, <laughs> anyway, what's everybody doing this weekend? It's finally the weekend. Uh, super or um, South, Carolina. Uh, South Carolina coverage tomorrow. Yeah, it's depressing sure. when there's now contests on the weekends that we have to obsess over. Not many. Yeah, true. Well, you know. All right, time now for my favorite part of the show. Uh, the quick take. What's on your radar? And who wants to go first? Don't all. Bueller, Bueller. Don't all. I'll go. Uh, I'll go. Kevin, you want to go? Mark's get got it. Mark's got it. Mark, Mark, Mark actually came with a book. You know, I love books. Go ahead. So, Barbara Franklin, who was Commerce Secretary under H.W. Bush. Yes. And also a Penn State graduate. Yes, we are. One, one of the we are. <laughs> One of the first state. One of the first. I state. love Penn State, and I feel the love this week from Penn State for what it's worth. Go ahead. Uh, she th- she worked for the Nixon administration, and she was tasked with as a young staffer of getting more women into the federal government. I knew uh, this, this. Also passed the Equal Rights Amendment and Title IX. This story, her book, is being re-released in connection with Women's History Month. Let's get her on the show. We're going to do it, and the hundredth anniversary of the Nineteenth Amendment. So, a matter of simple justice coming to you in March. Does she live okay, here? Matt too? Shirley she lives local? here. She lives, Matt Shirley she is like is Bloomberg's new all star Washington Booker, and he used to work in Martin's Tavern. I, I'm, I'm, am I allowed to say this? I love Martin. Okay, I love Martin. Matt's going there tonight. Yes. Yeah. He used to be the bouncer at Martin's Tavern. He's very intimidating. And, and he met his wife there. He's allowing me to say this. Anyway, Matt, we got to get her on the show. Okay, great. Okay, that's a great one that's on your radar. I yeah, really I'm excited. Like that. And March, Women's History Month. Yes, no, absolutely. It's like and of days course, away. February is African American History Month. And yeah, I mean, just, yeah, I'm all, I support that. Go, Eli, your turn. Uh, big day on Tuesday. We've got down ballot. Why? What's happening on we Tuesday? Some, <laughs> we got some down ballot primaries. <laughs> yes, true. Alabama's a big deal. 
Republicans are going to pick a candidate to go against Doug Jones, one of the oh. most vulnerable senators. Who do you think it's going to be? That's a juicy race. Jeff Sessions is on top. Probably going to go do a runoff. We'll see. Do you think he can do it? We have plenty of time, so talk. You think he can win it? Yeah. <laughs> like the nomination? No, Jeff Sessions. Do you think he can win a runoff? Uh, possibly. I think you talk to folks who are involved in this, and they think it's a matter of how well he does on Tuesday and if he shows strength on Tuesday. But he's not the only one, by the way. There's the uh, race for the nomination to take on Tom Tillerson in in uh, North Carolina. Um, Democrats in Texas are picking a candidate to go up against John Cornyn in a harder race. And then you've got dozens of House races, uh, candidates being decided next week. So those haven't gotten a lot of attention, but those are a big deal in terms of the next president's agenda making it this way through. Okay, good one. I like that. Thanks. Walling, why are you looking at me like that? Go, what? Uh, so what's on my radar screen? I um, have a piece out uh, what's in your the quick Hill take? What's yesterday that's uh, called uh, uh, Where is Barack Obama? In terms of how uh, how uh, out of it he has been throughout this entire process. <laughs> he indicated to uh, uh, to aides that he was potentially going to get involved, that Bernie Sanders got the nomination. Uh, it's a piece on the Hill right now saying you know that he has really taken a backseat to this. It's a great uh, piece. Yeah, it's everyone should read it. Where's Barack Obama? Where is he though, for real? What what do you think? What do you I mean in in DC and up in Martha's Vineyard in Hawaii and what All would you over. like, as a Biden guy, what would you like to see him do? <laughs> An endorsement of his, sitting, his former <laughs> vice president. I mean, God don't sakes. you think that he has to stay out of the primary? I mean, that's his, that's also his view, that he needs to be the uniter I mean, I of the party. I kind of respect that. Sure, we, sure, but I, I think... Sure, unless it's my guy, then <laughs> I want him to endorse. <laughs> sure, but you also have a Democratic Socialist that would undo a lot of the achievements of the Barack Obama administration. That's, that's that one way to look running. at it. Or you could look at it that the, that the voters want that to be the standard bearer of the party. A quarter of voters. The voters already think he's endorsed. You I know. know. We just found some polling exactly. yesterday. In Six in ten Democratic primary voters think Barack Obama's already waited on this race. Who? And that they've supported Michael Bloomberg. About a quarter right. think that he's endorsed Mike Bloomberg. Another quarter think he's endorsed ad. Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, money works, man. I mean, if you want to spend billions on a campaign, you could probably get that, and Just too. as a disclaimer, yeah. Michael Bloomberg, who's seeking the Democratic presidential nomination, is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. Do we think that Obama's going to endorse in a primary? No. No. I wish. <laughs> I mean, you talk to, you talk I mean, to uh, these people, and they're like, real. absolutely not. You know, I'm the Democratic establishment. I'm making a play for this guy wow. to come forward. Kevin Walling, direct uh, quote. I'm a vowed quote. De- I am Democrat. The Demi- <laughs> direct quote from Kevin Walling. I am the Democratic establishment. I, we quote. need this man to stop, humble. I think, uh, who you will know, be. Kevin Walling is very humble, by the way. He's one of the most humble people working in Washington. I'm giving him a hard time. I am. Thank you. I, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm giving you a hard time back. Oh, my uh, gosh. But as someone who is fearful as a Democrat of Bernie Sanders at the top of the ticket, this is, you know, this it's a little tongue in cheek the piece, but you know th- it does make the case that you know Barack Obama is likely the only endorsing agent that could make a difference in this race at this point. I mean, the Bloomberg people, or the, I'm sorry, the, the Sanders people are already upset at this notion that people think. I don't Barack think Obama's either endorsed. side there would have liked that mix up. I know, I know, but uh, they, they don't like the idea that. People even think that Barack Obama is endorsed. They want him to come out and say that he hasn't. I mean, they see all these ads. There's five campaigns running ads right now that feature Barack Obama ahead of Super Tuesday and in South Carolina. Um, his absence, his silence is almost uh, complicit with some of this in the minds of some of these folks. I think it just shows you the weakness of the Democrat National Party. I mean, uh, where's Hillary Clinton? And the fact she's starting a podcast. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, podcasting, the future. And I think. Um, it just shows you the weakness of the National Party that somehow uh, President Obama coming in you know, will clarify the field. I don't, I, I don't think that answers it. And I think if he had full confidence that Biden could get the job done, 
he would have already been there. I mean, there's a real faction within. There's fractions, factions. There are factions in both political parties right now, and I think it's just a really tough time for anybody to get mixed up in that. All right, you know what's on my radar? What? Secretary Pompeo to sign a U.S. Taliban peace deal in Qatar. I saw that. Uh, I'm going to read from the Post today, the New York Post. President Trump on Friday said he was sending Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to Qatar Saturday to sign a U.S. Taliban peace deal that he predicted could mean the end of the 19-year-old war and that American troops could come home. So this is a huge development uh, coming from the White House. It's been in the workings for quite some time. My colleagues Nick Wadhams and Bill Ferries and the rest of the all-star reporters on the Bloomberg um, national security team have just been really ahead of this, to be honest, and um, just doing great work. Uh, And Pompeo now going to be signing that deal, that peace deal. That's a major win uh, that could actually, I mean, if if he if Trump is bringing troops home, that could factor into the. I mean, I I I, I don't like how my impulse is to always go towards 2020 and what does it mean for 2020. It's a major development in foreign policy as it relates to troops coming back and of course potential additional troops going elsewhere in the region. Uh, yeah. But how would it factor Eli into a political? I mean, we've seen a lot of polling that aside from sort of the. Um, scary stuff about Iran. I mean, voters have not been really revved up by some of this foreign policy stuff. It takes a lot to get on their radar. And I mean, troops coming home about, though impacts a lot. Yeah, of if towns. it happens, but there's going to be a lot of people still there. I mean, that's how True. a lot of these conflicts have ended up: is we pull back and then we send more people there again. Um, uh, but even with like the coronavirus, I mean, these things we're talking about today, we can't assume they're going to be on the radar in in a month, in a week. I mean, I mean these. But, I mean, the president was impeached, and no one is at all talking about that. Yeah, that and was acquitted this by the Senate, and that, that was, was just this, this month. In the shortest month of the year that happened, we've already forgotten and about we've it. And we've already Let's forgotten about it. Let's end it there. That was this month. On the, They're adding an extra day <laughs> with leap year. Tomorrow, it's still February, but impeachment was this month? Yeah, he was that acquitted was this, this month. month? Yeah. So we've Kevin Walling, Eli Yokley, Mark Ross. Impeachment was this month. That does not feel like it. That does Personal. it for me. Have a great weekend, everybody. Truthfully, thank you so much for listening. I have a lot of gratitude for that. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Impeachment was this month. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.